All right, well, we are in a pre-Christmas series. This is the last Sunday of our pre-Christmas series called He Is Our Peace. He is our peace. So what is peace? What is peace? We might think of peace first as an absence of conflict. An absence of conflict makes perfect sense. You know, if there is fighting and conflict someplace, the first thing we want is the fighting to stop. Whether it's an overseas war with senseless violence or whether it's in our own family, we just want the, 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 the conflict to stop. But is that complete peace? The ceasing of conflict? Not quite. Because let's just say your family stops fighting. If you're bickering at each other, if your family stops fighting, but you don't like each other, are you at peace? No, you're still side-eyeing, you're silent treatment, you're not in active war, but there's still not peace. The second element of peace is an experience of harmony where we actually like each other, love each other, talk to each other, listen to each other, serve each other. So peace is an absence of conflict, but it's also an experience of harmony. But that's not even the full de definition of peace. Because for instance, in your own home, if you stop the conflict and then you're harmonious with one another, if you're not feeling in your heart and in your head a sense of peace and a sense of calm and a sense of safety, you're still not at peace. So peace is kind of all of the above. Stop the conflict, sense of harmony, but also in here, in our hearts, in our heads, a feeling of calm and safety. And we see all of this expressed through Jesus which is why the great declaration at the birth of Christ was glory to God in the highest peace on earth and goodwill to all humankind. It is the announcement, it is the promise, it is the proclamation of peace on earth. Stop the conflict, experience harmony, and experience an inner peace of calm and safety. And so throughout this series, just three weeks pre-Christmas, we've talked about inner peace, then we talked about living peacefully, and today we're gonna to talk about peacemaking peacemaking, that we can actually be an agent of peace. We can be the ones to actually help bring peace on earth the way Jesus brought peace on earth. We can be a peacemaker. So that's what we're going to get our heads around today is how we can be a peacemaker. But in order to understand really what it means for Jesus to be a peacemaker and for us to be a peacemaker, we've got to go back 2,000 years. You go back 2,000 years to the birth of Jesus he comes as the peace of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the announcement of peace on earth at his birth. He grows up, he receives his mission as the son of God uh, to really bring the kingdom of heaven on earth, and so he's teaching the peace of God. He's preaching the peace of God. Then he's practicing the peace of God in very, very practical ways all throughout the course of his life, bringing peace where there's conflict, bringing harmony in relationship, and bringing a sense of inner peace and calm. And then he gathers people together. He's not just preaching peace. He's not just practicing peace on his own. He's gathering a community together, a community of peace that he called the church. The assembly of people from all different walks of life, gathering together, learning from the Prince of Peace, modeling our lives after the Prince of Peace, learning to be a peaceful community, and then learning to be peacemakers on the earth. That's the vision that Jesus had. It's the vision that he gave his life for. And, and yet this world was so committed to conflict and so committed to violence that they put the Prince of Peace to death on a cross. But as though God says, nothing can stop the kingdom of heaven, nothing can stop heaven on earth, nothing can stop my peace, he raises Jesus from the dead and the resurrected Jesus gives a vision of peace before he ascends to the Father. In Acts chapter 1, 8, 
You will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is still preaching peace after his crucifixion and after his resurrection. He's saying, listen, I'm gonna be with you. The Prince of Peace is not just someone 2,000 years ago. I'm gonna be with you now and always through my spirit. So the spirit of Jesus is in us. The spirit of Jesus is still in us collectively towards this vision that he preached right before his ascension. He says, my name will be preached everywhere in Jerusalem. And he's saying this in Jerusalem. So they're going, yeah, these are our people. In Judea, okay. That's the county around Jerusalem. Those are our people. In Samaria, no, those are not our people. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm committed to peace. Not just among people that are like you and look like you, I'm committed to peace throughout this region. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, they hated the Samaritans. And then the ends of the earth. That includes Rome, the very people who had attacked them, invaded them, oppressing them, perpetrating violence against them. Jesus says, my peace will have no end. It will go to the ends of the earth. And he tells this to his church, this assembly of people, following the Prince of Peace, then being agents of peace to the ends of the earth. And they got together and remarkable things happened. Remarkable things happened. They were unified. And then they started welcoming people who were very much unlike them. They started welcoming not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And not just Gentiles who were anybody other than the Jews, but Romans. Romans who were Roman citizens, citizens of the empire that had, had invaded them and oppressed them. They started being welcomed in this brand new thing Jesus called the church. And over time, they were called Christians, little Christs, expressing great unity with each other for five minutes, and then it all went absolutely crazy, right? We have so much trouble living at peace. Jews and Gentiles lived together as one family of faith, one church, for a split second, and then the fighting started again. We are so prone to fight we are so prone to divide over every little thing, over opinions, right? Over religion, over politics, you name it, we are prone to fight, and that's exactly what happened in the early church. And the fighting in the early church was so intense that several books of the Bible in the New Testament were written specifically to stop the fighting in the church. The entire book of Galatians written to stop the fighting in the church. The entire book of Romans written to stop the fighting in the church. The entire book of Galatians written to stop the fighting in the church. I can argue that the entire book of Acts was written to stop the fighting in the church. We are so prone to fight, 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 and yet we serve the Prince of Peace. And so the Apostle Paul, who's the father of the early church, he wrote these books. He wrote these books of the Bible that is urging people who are dividing, fighting, arguing, conflict upon conflict, urging them to stop fighting, to experience harmony, and to walk in peace. So here's one example. This is in Ephesians chapter two. The Apostle Paul, writing to this church in open conflict with each other, he writes this. Now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And in a not so subtle way, he's basically saying, hey, listen, Jesus gave his life for you to be unified. 
He gave his life to be unified with God first, right? So that everybody would know that God loves us, everybody would know that God forgives us, everybody would know that God invites us freely by grace to be united with him. That is the gospel, that is the good news. By his grace and by his grace alone, we are united to God. There's nothing that is between God and us, not even our own sin, not our own failure, not our own mistakes, not our own flaws. We are united to God perfectly in Christ by grace. It's a free gift. That's where peace starts, right? That's why the series is called He is Our Peace because through Jesus, we are at perfect peace with God, not based on anything we do, but purely by his grace. And then the Apostle Paul says, as I remind you of God's grace towards you, could I ask you to turn to your neighbor and show that same grace towards others? The way God forgives our sin, could you forgive the sin of others? The way God sees the best in us, could we see the best in others? And so he goes on in Ephesians 2. He says, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles. For those of you who are unaware, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. So Jews called everybody else who wasn't Jewish Gentiles. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, went in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. The Apostle Paul is saying, as God loves you and as God has brought peace between him and you, could you be that peaceful towards each other? He says, God broke down the wall of hostility that divided Jews and Gentiles. Well, what's the wall of hostility that divided Jews and Gentiles? Apostle Paul goes on to say it's the Old Testament, essentially. The Old Testament law is the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. So think of, of your Old Testament as a wall of hostility that stands between Jews and Gentiles. And here's why. The Jews embraced their scripture, embraced the Old Testament, embraced the law that's in the Old Testament, the rules and regulations, embraced it as their religion and their national identity. So they used that to judge the Gentiles. The Jews used the Old Testament to judge everybody else. Then the Gentiles would use the Old Testament to judge the Jews. They didn't get it, didn't understand it, thought it was weird. So because of the Old Testament laws, rules, regulations, Jews hated the Gentiles and Gentiles hated the Jews. And so in this very wonderful, somewhat complex, you know, theological treaty, the Apostle Paul describes that at the death of Jesus, that wall of hostility is removed. Jesus says we no longer need laws, rules, religious traditions to get to God. He says it never worked anyway, right? So why have these religious rules that divide Jews and Gentiles? Why have these religious traditions that divide Jews and Gentiles? The grace of God through Jesus put an end to that and so now we can experience unity. We can experience peace. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Then in verse 17 of Ephesians 2, he puts a capstone on it, that Jesus brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to Jews who were near. Get this. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Isn't that cool? All of humankind can be brought together with God by the grace that he gave us through Jesus Christ. And then he says, how about we then be united to each other? If we could have peace with God, then we can have peace with each other. The same God and Father of us all who brings us all in a perfect relationship with him through Jesus as a free gift, that can be the same love that causes peace on earth. 
It can cause peace on earth. But I think in order to experience peace on earth, and I think in order to become peacemakers that make this world more peaceful, we need to do three things, and they all rhyme. That was not intentional. That's not some weird, you know, cheesy sermon thing. It just so happens that these three things that I think we need to do to be peacemakers happen to rhyme. Recalibrate, de-escalate, and advocate. You ready? All right. Recalibrate. Recalibrate basically means changing the way we think. If we're going to be peacemakers, we have to change the way we think. Recalibrate how we think. I'm going to read you something from Arun Gandhi. He's the grandson of Mahatma Gandhi. And he says this about the pattern of human thinking regarding conflict. Get this. He says, there's a widespread belief now that peace is unattainable. He just wrote this a couple years ago. He basically says, we think that peace is unattainable and that civilization is doomed to perish by violence. Since human beings realized in prehistoric times that they could survive only by using force, they developed what could only be described as a culture of violence that gradually came to dominate every aspect of human life. Here's what he says. The brain has been wired to believe that it's only by violence that we survive. That's baked into human thinking. And so we just assume we're destined to be violent people. So we assume that there are always gonna be wars. We assume that there's always gonna be conflict. We assume perhaps if you are in a family that is fighting, you assume that there's always gonna be fighting in your family. That's the way our brains are wired. They're wired for conflict. So to recalibrate our brains is to rethink this whole idea of conflict and to begin to entertain the idea that there doesn't have to be conflict. Try right now, even as you're sitting there, even online, try right now to think in your head, you know what, maybe we're not destined for conflict. Maybe this world isn't predetermined to be violent. Maybe this world is not going to perish by violence. Maybe there can actually be peace on earth. We have to retrain our thinking. It kind of goes against human nature, really. And so if you're in a family that, that, that fights, could you recalibrate your brain and think, you know what, my family doesn't have to fight. If you're trained to think that you know, differences of opinion means we have to be in conflict, retrain your brain. That personal offenses means we have to fight. No, we don't. That political fights always have to be terse and stern and judgy, no. That religious differences don't have to result in us versus them. Retrain, recalibrate our thinking. There can be peace, even in the middle of disagreement. There can be peace. In order to recalibrate our thinking, I think it starts with simply following Jesus. And that might sound cliche, it might sound trite, but we can recalibrate our thinking by following Jesus. Jesus was urging us to rethink this idea of peace. At his birth, the declaration was peace on earth in an entire culture of war. I wanna show you a little video. It's a um, He Gets Us uh, video, and I love these things. That's no secret. And it's about how we bring peace on earth by following Jesus. Take a look. A caring man took a walk. Everywhere he looked, people suffered. Anxiety ran high, hope dwindled, hatred rose. His neighbors had lost trust in the system and in each other. I need to do something, he thought. I'll bring them together and feed them. 
around the dinner table, they can talk and see how much they have in common. Shared struggles, shared joy, shared pain. So he prepared a feast and invited all into his home. But some refused to sit at his table because they chose to only see differences. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to eat and be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. I love those commercials, just focused on Jesus. And what does Jesus do to bring peace? He invites everybody to his table. He invites everybody. He invited people who were of different political parties to eat at his table. He invited men and women. He invited everyone. After his resurrection, he invites the world to the ends of the earth to come. So how can we go from assuming we are destined to conflict and assuming we're destined to violence to start to rethink that there can actually be an experience of peace on earth? Keep following Jesus. Keep learning from Jesus. We can also recalibrate our thinking through prayer, through prayer. I'm of the opinion, feel free to disagree about this or anything else that I say ever. Um, I don't think prayer is about changing the mind of God. I think prayer is about changing our mind. I don't think prayer is about causing God to do something, but causing us to do something. So I think prayer is a way for us to recalibrate our thinking to believe there can actually be peace on earth. Again, in the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul was writing to bring people in conflict together. And so he prays for them in Ephesians chapter three. Listen to his prayer. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles in open conflict. And he's saying, you can be strong if you're rooted in the love of Jesus. And he's praying this. And so in our prayer, we can pray that we would have a heart for peace, that we would be recalibrated towards peace and not towards division towards unity and not towards judgment. I think we could also recalibrate by simple acts of peace. Just to retrain our thinking by doing small things that are peaceful every single day. Not returning harsh words for harsh words, doing things proactively to bring peace on earth with the people around us. I love Colossians 4, 6. I love the imagery of it. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I love that. Simple acts of peace by the simple things that we say. Some of you are, are cooks here. Uh, if you cook, I'm sure you're paying very care careful attention to uh, recipes and spices and seasonings. And as you season, you may taste because you want it to be just right. The Apostle Paul, in an effort to bring peace here, is simply saying, can we be that careful with our words? That our words can be seasoned with salt so we know how to bless the people around us to flavor our words so they bring peace and not conflict, to really think through things before we say them. Very easy to say, very hard to do, but that's how we can recalibrate our thinking. To go from assuming there will be conflict to advocating for peace. I follow Jesus, he was serious about bringing peace. I'm gonna keep learning from him and following his example. I'm gonna do things every day to try to bring a little bit of peace to the people around me. That is to recalibrate our thinking. Then to de-escalate, de-escalate. De-escalation is very, very difficult because our brains are wired to escalate conflict, right? So we're gonna get into a little bit of brain science. Uh, you know, I apologize for this, I love brain science. I think it's just part of how God wired us. 
Now, brain science is interpreted by us as emotion or spirituality, right? When we talk about emotions or spirituality, really what's going on predominantly is just brain science, brain chemicals. God wired us to be emotional and spiritual beings in our brains and in our brain chemistry. So let's talk about the biology of conflict. The biology of conflict. Some of you are about ready to uh, you know, go to your biology finals. I apologize if this seems too uh, academic. But I think the more we understand the biology of conflict, the more we'll be able to reverse it and bring peace. Here's how this works. If somebody challenges you or offends you or threatens you, your body is instantaneously filled with cortisol. That's just how your body's wired. If anybody challenges you, confronts you, offends you, or threatens you, in a split second, your body is filled with cortisol. Cortisol does a couple of things. Cortisol gets you amped up, right? Because you're in defense mode. This is fight or flight. There's a, there's a threat, there's a risk. Your brain shuts off and your body goes. That's what it does. Cortisol affects the, hippocamp the hippocampus, which shuts off your brain. It's called brain fog, right? So your brain shuts off and your body is on. We do not think, we just react. So if somebody offends you, you're immediately wired to go, your heart rate is up, you might feel warm, your muscles tense, and you just might go off and say something in return. You didn't think about it. You didn't season that phrase with salt. Somebody came at you and you just responded. It's just what the brain is wired to do. It's wired for self-defense, right? So fighting back is the natural instinct. So if somebody threatens you physically, we tend to respond. Your body just responds physically. If we are attacked verbally, your body just responds verbally. If we're attacked emotionally, our body just responds emotionally. It's just the wiring, right? It's just the wiring. I love this um, article from Dr. Bina Mattel. She says this, when the brain is under conflict, the body is reacting. Both the brain and the body are experiencing multiple emotions, including anger, fear, hurt, disappointment, and many others. At this moment, people excuse their feelings or reactions by blaming others, pointing the finger, while later being angry at themselves for how they reacted. Does this sound familiar? Got a lot of head nods and amens last service. It is at this very moment, get this, that we must detach from our automatic responses and force ourselves to think of how our reactions impact others. Choosing not to react sometimes is the best reaction and it promotes a positive behavior response. Now that sounds all nice and buttoned up in an article. But when things go down, our body just does. Cortisol floods, brain shuts off, and we just react. So it takes a lot to de-escalate when we're wired to escalate. And I think the only way we could do this effectively is something I call Russian flush. And I'm 99% sure I, I, I coined that phrase and invented it. I checked the entire internet. Nobody else is using it. Using it. They talk about the rush of chemicals and they talk about them flushing out, but I want us to put in our brains rush and flush. When you feel cortisol course through your body, your body gets warm, your brain fogs up and you are up for the fight, rush and flush, rush and flush, rush and flush. What I'm experiencing is just chemicals and they will flush out of my body in 20 minutes. This is just how it works, how all of us are wired, right? Rush of chemicals, they flush out in 20 minutes, which means what? When somebody challenges you or offends you or maybe even threatens you in a moment, whether it's at the Christmas Eve you know, dinner or out in the neighborhood or somebody sends you a text, you feel it, just think, rush and flush, rush and flush. It's a rush of chemicals. My brain has shut off. 
Nothing good is gonna happen right now. I need to separate. I just need to separate. I need to take a walk. I need to scream in a pillow. I need to do anything but react right now. Now, get this, in about 20 minutes, cortisol's flushed out of your body, your brain is back working, and you can now re-engage whatever needs to be engaged. So we're not talking about ignoring problems that have to be you know, dealt with, but we're talking about doing them in a way that's de-escalating, de-escalating. I think this is what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount. Very famous passage. He says, you've heard the law, and he's quoting the Old Testament law. You've heard the law that says, the punishment must match the injury. You're injured here, there has to be an equal injury. Now that's, I suppose, step one of de-escalation, right? In the Old Testament law, which is a civil code given to 12 tribes so that they wouldn't kill each other. So as you read your Old Testament law, that's how God gave the law. 12 tribes without any government, he gave them the 10 commandments, gave them the Old Testament law, so that they would not kill each other. That's why it was given. Part of that is this de-escalation clause. So if you do something negligent and you happen to take the eye of your neighbor, that neighbor can take your eye. So technically that's not escalation, right? But it's still pretty barbaric. Eye for an eye, and you've heard this cliche, and I kinda like it. If we lived an eye for an eye, all it means is that everybody would be what? Blind, right? It doesn't work never worked, wasn't intended to work, right? Jesus says, an eye for an eye isn't the deal. He says, I've got a different plan. I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Fascinating, right? Now, some people might misinterpret this to say, well, Jesus wants us to be so passive that we just keep getting beat up. Is that what he's saying here? Jesus is not saying, if you are slapped on the right cheek, get slapped on the left cheek. He did not say that. But he didn't say slap the other person on the right cheek for even Stevensies. He didn't say that either. Listen very precisely to what Jesus is saying. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other also, not to be hit, but to de-escalate. Don't resist. So in the Old Testament law, if somebody accidentally or negligently takes your right eye, you could take their right eye. No, don't resist. De-escalate. Don't get even. De-escalate. Turn the left cheek also. The assumption here is if you de-escalate, you will not get hit on the left cheek and you don't have to hit on the right cheek. You see what's going on here? Just de-escalate. I told this story at uh, the last Sunday seminary. I don't think I told it here. If I did, pretend like I didn't. Several years ago, I was uh, on an RV trip with my family and um, turned in to get gas. And getting gas when you're pulling a trailer is, is not any fun, and it's this whole deal, and you get in there, and I got out of the truck, putting gas in the truck, wife and kids are in the truck, and I see this car fly in the parking lot, and a guy start charging me. And I'm not talking about a guy. I'm talking about a guy. I'm talking about, in my mind and in my memory, it's like 325 pounds of pure muscle mass just going at me. And it's like, I got an RV and a truck. I can't get in there and maybe risk my family. And so I told him, lock the truck as this guy is charging me. I'm thinking, what did I do? Did he, uh, is he mistaking me for somebody else? Did I do something dumb on the freeway, which is very possible when you're pulling an RV? 
Who knows? I don't know. But all I know is this guy's coming at me, and I am going to absolutely get my butt kicked. What do I do? Cortisol is just pumping through my veins. Everything is up, heart, rate, heart rate's up, muscles are tense. And I'm thinking, you know, a thousand miles an hour, I guess I need to defend myself. What am I gonna do? I'm this skinny dude going up against somebody who's clearly a, a you know, a mixed martial artist. I am not gonna live. So if I put my hands up, how, I don't know, I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how to do anything. Never hit anybody. I, so. I just thought, I'm gonna keep my hands down and I'm gonna speak calmly. And this wasn't because, oh, I'm following Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm trying to live through the afternoon and I'm calculating <laughs> this is probably my best way because if I fight, I'm gone. Hands down, speak calmly. And as this guy's coming at me now about 20 feet and I said, sir, I don't know what I did, but whatever it was, I apologize. Hands down, voice calm. And I could tell he wanted to just go off and I think maybe he saw my wife and kids, <laughs> eyes this big, and he turned around and walked away. Now, I'm not saying that's gonna happen every time. The next guy who charges me for whatever reason might actually connect. Um, but I will tell you, having lived through what might have been a slap on my right cheek, and to live through de-escalation and to think, okay, this, this might work, not just in terms of physical violence, this might work wherever there is conflict. In your family life, somebody's coming at you, hands down, soft voice. De-escalate, de-escalate, turn the other cheek. Not to get abused, turn the other cheek to de-escalate. So if your spouse triggers your brain to release cortisol, de-escalate. If your child triggers your brain to release cortisol, de-escalate. If something happens in your life, something bad happens in your life, just circumstances, de-escalate. Rush and flush, let it go. Let it go. Recalibrate, de-escalate, and finally, advocate. Advocate. If we want to be a peacemaker, recalibrate our thinking towards peace. If we want to be a peacemaker, de-escalate conflict. If we want to be a peacemaker, advocate for peace. Advocate for peace. Find a cause that will bring peace on this earth and do something positive. Advocate for peace. Matthew 1.23, look, the birth of Jesus. The virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus is the peace of God with us, as though God himself was advocating on our behalf through Jesus. God looked at the landscape of humanity that he loved so much, and we're destroying each other through conflict. We're destroying each other through war and escalation of violence. We're destroying each other with words. We're destroying each other emotionally. We're just wired to ramp up, recalibrate our minds, de-escalate conflict, and advocate the way God advocated by giving his son Jesus on that Christmas morning to essentially say, I am engaged, and I am involved, and I am here, and I am present on the earth. God's not just shouting from the sky. He's born among us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, right here, advocating for us through Jesus. And so a little tiny piece of that is how we can live our lives, advocating for peace in the lives of others. So where is there conflict in this world that breaks your heart? Where is there conflict where you can say to yourself, I wanna advocate for those people. I wanna advocate for the underserved communities experiencing inequities in education or healthcare 
or the justice system. I'm going to get involved. To advocate for people with special needs, seeking dignity, a voice, or access. I'm going to advocate for immigrants who are trying to make a better lives for themselves and their family. I'm going to advocate for single mothers who are desperately just trying to do it all. I'm going to advocate for racial reconciliation efforts. I'm going to advocate for children, innocent children orphaned by war and disease. I'm going to advocate for innocent children who are hungry. I'm going to advocate for innocent children who are abused or innocent children who are victims of war. I'm going to find a cause that breaks my heart and the way God engaged and advocated for us through Jesus, I am going to advocate for others and I'm going to be present. And I might volunteer some time and I might give some money, but I'm going to be an advocate to make peace on earth. And all of that is aligning our heart with the heart of Jesus. Where at his birth, the announcement came out. This is the peace of God. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward all mankind. We're gonna close a song, in a song that uh, is a Christmas time favorite here. It's called Here Comes Heaven. And as we sing this song, if you know it, feel free to sing along. As we sit through this song, just let the words and the music sink in and soak in that the kingdom of heaven here is a kingdom of peace and a world at war with violence and conflict, with offenses and words, with emotions that divide. Can we look to the Prince of Peace who came 2,000 years ago and say, would heaven come to earth? Hope is on the horizon, Christ himself bringing peace. Take this in and enjoy.
of salvation. 